recording in progress. Hello everyone. So I finished uh, this book maybe a few weeks ago or maybe more, I don't remember. Uh, these are the letters to Sartre by Simone de Beauvoir. Um, I think that she published Sartre's letters to her um, before she had these letters published. I think that these only became available in 1990 when she, yes, when she, um, she died. I think it was in the 80s. So she only said that they would be published after she died. I think Sartre died in 1980 and she died in 1986. So I just wanted to read three of these. Uh, I think reading the correspondence of any philosopher, any literary writer or artist that you're interested in really can help you understand who they are and it will inevitably affect, you know, I guess your experience of reading their philosophy or their novels. Not in a way that I think will bias you in a problematic way, um, if you can compartmentalize, but it just gives you a different dimension. I think I saw a small clip of Derrida speaking about what he um, thinks philosophers should talk more about, and I think he said like their sex lives. So, you know, I think there's some sort of Int like intrigue that our sort of intellectual heroes have for us and um, I really enjoyed this it was kind of like I would consider correspondence like a guilty pleasure like a good beach read if you um, have access <laughs> to a beach I also have it but I haven't finished Quiet Moments in a War the letters of Jean-Paul Sartre to Beauvoir um, but I can make a video on reading some of the letters. I guess as a summary, what I've found about both Sartre and Beauvoir is that they had a very dynamic, rich, interesting, polyamorous, open relationship. Both of them were avid adventurers. They loved to travel, and this is when they were writing each other letters apart from the time when Sartre was enlisted in the war in World War I, um, and before that slightly, the, called the Phony War. Um, so they loved traveling. They had uh, various, well, at least, I guess Sartre did too. Um, they had lovers all over the world, basically. Um, they So not only their students and their former students, um, although that made the main, I guess, kind of like threesomes that they had, but they, threesomes in terms of just like a relational dynamic, <laughs> not in a like, intimate physical way. <laughs> To clarify that um, how that word is usually used but they, they use that word so that's why it was like in my mind um, when they were talking about like yeah, you get it um, so Beauvoir the thing that I liked about her letters is that she is such a she has such a hunger for life 
and a thirst for life for she always talks about you know she's traveling around America she had like an American tour um, like a little bit later on in her career when she or when she kind of got more well-known and famous um, and she would always talk about how exciting it was to go to like different nightclubs and they were not strict you know, strict on going to sleep at an appropriate time. Sartre had his own particular, I think, sleep problems and he took like lots of medication and then he would drink coffee to stay awake and other stimulants and he was just kind of like, you know, in that camp. But Beauvoir would often like have all-nighters going to clubs or having conversations with people, etc. And she just, she always commented, like, I feel like such a princess. They were treating me like such a princess. She loved, I think, just to engage with other people and to eat food and to take long walks and something that, you know, her lovers often said about her and she even mentioned about herself that she had this amazing endurance to just uh, walk for many, many, many kilometers and you know, or uh, both Sartre and Beauvoir love to ski and have like snow vacations. And um, they just, they were very nomadic. I mean, it, it seems like Beauvoir for a while before maybe she had like a set apartment. Did she ever? I know, I think I read that, but that didn't come across um, from her letters. It seemed as if she was always going from hotel to hotel and Sartre had his mother as kind of a home base in a sense where like when he was going off to war that's where he stored like his things like his clothes, his wardrobe, etc. Um, but Beauvoir was always staying with friends and uh, family sometimes and moving it almost seemed like from like she would have like a few months here and a few months there and uh, so with all of their relationships they would often finance like classes for their younger lovers yeah mainly their younger lovers they would finance or living arrangements you even see in the uh, kind of, I guess, the end, end-ish chapters of L'Ange des Raisons, the first of the three or four, depending on how you want to think of it, if you include the fourth unfinished one, um, tri trilogy or tetralogy of The Roads to Freedom, Sartre's novels about the philosophy professor Matthew. Um, at the end, Matthew, uh, you know, he has been trying to seduce and sustain this relationship with a much younger character, Evich, and um, he offers, like, she has to go home for some reason, like, it's always like the students can't find a job or aren't going to pass the exams that they're taking or whatever, and uh, in L'Age de Raison, Matthew, the Sartre character, I would say, like, the, the incomplete or immature or less refined Sartre um, he says oh you know I'll you can I'll pay for an apartment for you and and she came to stay um, or l'embete I think it is in French Beauvoir's novel she talks about how this character that Sartre and herself got involved with mostly Sartre and 
the Beauvoir character was like. Um, I guess Pierre is, is Sartre's name and she came to stay and Francois is Beauvoir's name and she came to stay. And Xavier, I think, is the, is the young woman. Um, so they pay for her to have a room in like this house, um, which basically is run like kind of like a boutique hotel that you can have an extended stay in. They, they, they like finance her a room so she can stay, you know, I think in Paris or wherever they are in France. So um, it's really interesting and they shared, I guess, finances as well. Like. Uh, they were always talking about like, okay, so you're gonna have this much money for the month that leaves me this much and I can give so much to like Olga and you know, whoever they were, Bianca or whoever they were talking about. I think there's Olga Sorokin and then I think Olga has the sister and they were in a relationship with, they were in a relationship with sisters. Also, I think one of the sisters married a former student of either Sartre or Beauvoir, which Beauvoir had a relationship with. I think his name was Bost. And so it just, I don't know, it just gets complicated. But anyway, and then Sartre, what I'm getting from his letters, and of course there is, there's not that much talk of philosophy actually in their letters, there's some. And it's really interesting if you're reading their other works because in Quiet Moments in a War, Sartre is working on both L'Age de Raison and Being in Nothingness. And in these letters, um, Beauvoir is working on She Came to Stay. And so they had such a great, like, I guess, intimate, erotic, intellectual relationship. And they were so addicted to each other. Um, they're always talking about how we're one and there's no one, you know, like you are my life, you are me, etc. Um, but they always uh, had, you know, each other read chapters and critique and feedback, give feedback. And uh, they were both working on like diaries and notebooks and then they had letters that they were writing to each other and to all their lovers and people, almost like an obligation. And then they had their own intellectual works and Beauvoir talks about, you know, when she is really interested in writing philosophy, she's like, I really want to do this. But they, Because they both wrote plays, they both wrote novels. Um, with Sartre, I mean, he, had journalistic ventures, so did Beauvoir. He has short stories. I'm guessing Beauvoir had short stories. I haven't read, I've read more Sartre, I think, at this point than I have Beauvoir. I've read Her Second Sex, but I need to reread it because I read it a long time ago. And I'm reading She Came to Stay, but other than, other than these letters, which, I don't know, <laughs> my hand's getting tired. Um, other than these letters, I, I have other books, well, I have some other, like I have her diaries, I think, but, or no, I know I do, um, but I just, uh, yeah, I haven't read as much of her, so I don't know exactly everything that she has, she has novels, and she has a second sex, and correspondence, and I know she talks about plays, so she must have plays. I just haven't read them. And um, yeah, 
anyway, okay, so we're gonna go ahead and get started. I kind of chose these randomly without going through them and making sure that I wanted to read them, but I just picked like an early, middle, and later one to see what we can, you know, get from these. Okay, so this first one is, uh, she's on some sort of adventure. It is the 27th of July, 1938. Dear little being, I'm not going to write you a long letter, though I have hundreds of things to tell you, because I prefer to tell you them in person on Saturday. You should know, however, number one. First, that I love you dearly. I'm quite overcome at the thought that I'll see you disembarking from the train on Saturday, carrying your suitcase in my red hat box. I can already picture us ensconced on our deck chairs overlooking a lovely blue sea and talking 19 to the dozen, and I feel a great sense of well-being. Two, you've been very sweet to write me such long letters, and sometimes they get onto each other for not writing. Um, I'm hoping for another this evening at NLC, maybe? You tell me countless pleasing little items of news, but the most pleasing of all is that you found your subject. There are always these intellectuals like her and Sartre and Wittgenstein, because I've read his private notebooks. They're always just obsessed. I mean, unsurprisingly, about their intellectual projects. They're working on, they're always working on something and they always need time in the day to be alone and have solitude and work on the things that they want to work on. Also reading, like Beauvoir especially was like a voracious reader. And during the war, they were, Sartre and Beauvoir were like sending books back and forth to each other. The big page looks extremely fine with that title, just the perverse kind you like, Lucifer. I can find no fault with it. So the question is, the work in question was to become Les Chemins de la Liberté, The Roads to Freedom. Something extremely agreeable, number three, something extremely agreeable has happened to me, and this is why I chose that. <laughs> just tickles me, which I didn't at all expect when I left. I slept with little boss three days ago. It was I who propositioned him, of course. Both of us had been wanting it. We'd have serious conversations during the day and the evenings would be unbearably oppressive. One rainy evening at Tiffany's in a barn, lying face down a few inches away from one another, we gazed at each other for an hour, finding various pretexts to put off the moment of going to sleep. He babbling frantically, I racking my brains vainly for the causal, or the casual, sorry, appropriate words I couldn't manage to articulate. I'll tell you it all properly later. In the end, I laughed foolishly and looked at him. So he said, why are you laughing? And I said, I'm trying to picture your face if I propositioned you to sleep with me. And he said, I was thinking that you were thinking that I wanted to kiss you, but didn't dare. In She Came to Stay, there's this young man who is, I think is bossed, um, that Francois likes, but she is not. In She Came to Stay, Francois is a, the character Francois, Beauvoir's character, is a little bit like shy and hesitant and the main like victim of Sartre's pursuals. Oh, and the one thing I didn't say about what I felt about Sartre, uh, his letters, 
he like very much wants to be a playboy. He com he continuously talks about how he loves his conquest, and that is one of the reasons I am not fully equipped to psychoanalyze the age different professor student relationships of Beauvoir and Sartre, whom they shared. I, but I think that. From Sartre's comments, maybe this doesn't apply to Beauvoir, but the one thing Sartre liked, I think, um, about trying to seduce these young women, these like former students, I'm, I'm thinking they were, were always former students, and when I talk about age difference, I guess when I'm reading about this in the letters, I think Sartre and Beauvoir are like maybe early 30s and they taught in high schools or the lycée, uh, the lycées of France. So I think the younger people were like 17, 18, 19, and of course they like grew up and got older and some of them stayed and some of them went. Um, some of them stayed for like, Ever, you know, um, like I remember Bianca writing about Bost at Beauvoir's funeral. So some of them stayed around for quite a while. They had age-appropriate relationships as well, but they they talked less about them because I think it was always it's always a struggle, right? Or I can imagine it is. Um, but anyway, sorry, I'm very much kidding. I'm like, I have three sentences I'm trying to complete. Going back to the first. I think that Sartre liked the conquest and how difficult it was to get someone so young to like be in a relationship with him. Like he wanted to like tame them or he wanted, he also felt, I think, and Beauvoir, I think this relates to her too. They also felt as if, and maybe in their time, like the 30s and the 40s were considered like old, <laughs> I don't know, because they always talk about that, but they thought that they had, or their characters at least, and maybe in the correspondence, if I really want to like separate the two, I'm going to have to maybe take some notes, but um, they liked the fire and the energy and the impulsivity and the spontaneity of the younger person and kind of like wanted to like vampirically, I feel like maybe, like feed off of their energy. And, you know, part of the struggle is, you know, when we, when we are young, um, there is a lot that's not on our radar, and I don't want to get into like the whole like my spiel about like speaking about how problematic this is because it's very problematic. Um, but I because I kind of already did that in my Hannah Arendt and Martin Heidegger video. Um, but when we're younger, we don't have certain things on our radar, certain concepts, especially like malicious manipulative, but then also, sorry, I'm so distracted. It's like such a cute bird. Okay, sorry. Um, 
or like maybe even the nuance and complications of romantic and beyond um, dynamics when we're older or situations when we're older. It's just when we're younger, you know, if you remember, if you are, you know, my age or older, <laughs> um, things are hazy, things are, you don't expect things. And that's why, you know, I think there's a very helpful conversation about grooming in our world today. Sorry, now I'm distracted by the, the noise in the parking lot. Um, because the reason that younger people can be groomed and what that means is, again, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't fully know what it means, but my thought is, as I'm reading this on the internet, that it is a, like a psychological kind of pressure put on the younger person from the older person. And it, grooming doesn't have to be sexual. It can just on any sort of psychological level as well. Like a parent could groom their children, their children if like on a purely like psychological level to just feed from them and give them support and love and not really care about them in return, etc. Um because they take advantage of the younger person's confusion and innocence. And I'm not sure that Sartre, I think Sartre and Beauvoir kind of liked the innocent affection and worship of them from that could maybe only happen from a younger person or like a student. I don't necessarily think that I see Sartre enjoying abusing the innocence of younger people, but I do, but he does talk about himself as someone who loves the conquest, who kind of wants to tame, and it's like their hazy confusion was a fresh frustrating element for Sartre and Beauvoir. I don't know if any of that made sense or if this is probably a time when I should edit things out because like what I'm talking about is I don't know just so it's just the observations that happen. Okay um but also I think the main thing that's really interesting about this is how excited she is to tell her lover Sartre about her sexual conquests. I mean, I think the letters, not the, not she came to stay, <laughs> but the letters are um, a really good example, you know, notwithstanding the problematic ethics of trying to seduce younger people, um, a really uh, positive example of polyamory because they seem to be just very excited about exchanging information as if they were like telling stories of their adventures. Okay. Um, okay. 
After that, we floundered on for another quarter of an hour before he made up his mind to kiss me. He was tremendously astonished when I told him I'd always had a soft spot for him. And he ended up telling me yesterday evening that he'd loved me for ages. I'm very fond of him. We spent idyllic days and nights of passion, but have no fear of finding me sullen or disoriented or ill at ease on Saturday. It's something precious to me, something intense, but also light and easy and properly in its place in my life. Simply a happy blossoming of relations that I'd always found very agreeable. It strikes me as funny on the other hand to think that I'm now going to spend two days with Bienenfeld. I don't know how to say your name. Benenfeld? Benenfeld? Goodbye, dear little being. I'll be on the platform on Saturday or at the buffet if you don't see me on the platform. I'd like to spend long weeks alone with you. A big kiss. One thing that I do think is difficult about their own, she signs it, your beaver. One thing I think is, I know here's Buvar calls Bien the they. Heineggerian. I think I'll read this one. Um, one thing that I think is uh, noticeably difficult about polyamorous relationships, at least as Buvar is writing, is that they're always having to negotiate schedules, and a lot of times they feel as if they have to lie to people for instance, like lie about how much time they really have available to disperse and yeah, distribute amongst all of them because Beauvoir really sees Sartre, they're like the primary relationship, so it's not exactly equal. And I did see an interview where Beauvoir said that, you know, she admitted that they had these polyamorous relationships, but at the cost of the lovers that were not Sartre and Beauvoir because they considered themselves to be like the primary couple and then other people like came and go, came and went. Yeah. Okay, this one is the 19th of January, um, 1940 in Paris. My dear little one, you've written, to, and I guess Sartre was short, so. You've written to me so dutifully, my love, such a long letter. How seductive it sounds, that theory of nothingness which solves every problem. So you're truly a great, a truly great philosopher, are you then, little brain box? <laughs> Listen, I find your decision to recast the novel extremely sensible. Would you like the following? For me to tell that lady to send the manuscript by register by registered post to Poupette, who will type it. So that lady is kind of a, a well-to-do aristocratic friend who is, I guess, maybe older than Sartre and Beauvoir that they kind of borrowed money from sometimes, that they socialized with. And Poupette is Beauvoir's sister, who is sometimes like does secretarial, secretarial work for Sartre. I really don't think there's anything to fear if it's registered. She'd make five copies, she's got a typewriter and time on her hands. But if you've got 
to rework it from the beginning to end, perhaps that would really be just wasted labor and you might as well take it with you when you move to the rear, which seems to be pretty certain. So I think she's talking, I think he's enlisted in the army right now. It's as you like. I can't see any advantage in having it typed here since it would cost between 500 and 1,000 francs. Well, the cost of a registered parcel is much the same. Um, la, la Pouez Paris or La Pouez La Pouillet, maybe? I'll write as soon as I get your answer. I apologize. <laughs> okay. Um, and there's a the little ellipses. In connection with the Corita with Benenfeld, of which an account follows, I thought of how you once told me at Saint-Germain-le-Bel, I won't give myself, but I'll give you lots of presents. So I guess he said that to Beauvoir. And you wrote me the same thing. Yet ultimately, you converted your whole self into currency and gave me all that it's possible to give someone. My dear love. It's still the case that love's no symbiosis, but we'll weep over that some other day. That's what really devastates me, Ben and Phil told me, her teeth chattering. At midday, you see, I arrived at La Sorbonne to find her wearing a scowl. She handed me a paper containing some dribble about our ethical conversation of the other day, after which there was a formal address. You don't give yourself, you take. It's false that I'm your life. Your life is a mosaic. For me, though, you are my life. I'm all yours. So this is the Bianca that wrote, I thought I had, had it over here, but I don't. Um, this is the Bianca that wrote a scathing review of her relationship after she read the letters. And it's true, um, Bianca, they, they were kind of, they complained a lot about Bianca. Beauvoir complained a lot about Bianca in her letters. And as she explained to me that the night before in bed, she thought one thing leading to another, how I was at the center of my own life and had hated me for it, that she still hated me and that she couldn't have come. I first pointed out that you exist for her, which as she now keeps us entirely separate, makes a mosaic in two colors. Also that she's concerned about her parents, her work, etc. that nobody is anybody else's life, of course, but you build things together, etc. that giving and taking are strange words and giving yourself is the best way of taking. Something which I didn't say to her was that I'd just assume she didn't give me all the time she takes from me. She explained in a wooly way that for the first time yesterday, she tried to look at the affair from my viewpoint, but then I was at the center and all the people in my life were there too. Whereas normally, whenever she thought about me, she'd deliberately wipe them out and it was horrible. She was really trembling. Perhaps I have a heart of stone, but I wasn't moved in the least. And I think it was her own fault. Anyway, placing yourself in the other person's shoes is elementary. My God. At the start of our own love affair, I always tried to understand how I was placing myself in your life from your point of view, and how if I loved you more than you loved me, this meant I found more riches in you and was the more advantaged. In view of what I was receiving, and also by the very plentitude of my feelings, 
things. If in love there are things you find metaphysically painful, I can understand that, but you have to digest it in the same way as all the other things you have to digest about the human condition. Telling your friends about it, but not making it into a personal grievance. I find those alternations between dogged optimism and ill-considered lapses into tragedy, frankly odious in all objectivity. The most concrete element in all of this, I think, is her jealousy in regard to Kos, which is another young student lover. She unburdened herself of this over lunch. These student lovers or former student lovers, I don't know exactly like, the details, were often jealous of each other because uh, Beauvoir basically said, you know, I'll meet like, you get Tuesday nights, you get Tuesday afternoons, you get Wednesdays and Thursdays, you know, it's kind of like that. <clears throat> then accompanied me to H4, all shivering with cold and nerves. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is getting like gravelly now. I, I was trying to sing earlier. <clears throat> Maybe I shouldn't try to sing before. And do a video. There will be more of the same tomorrow. I quite understand it all has to do with a certain st sadistic wretch, but it still inspires me with as much repugnance as a scalp. Shellfish, this is the note, shellfish like butter and cheese were among a number of foods which de Beauvoir viewed with horror. The story about Sartre not wearing underpants is quite true. I don't know what that's about. That when she started thinking about the coarseness of her jokes. But I'm so used to her out of place tone that this shocked me no worse than the rest. So basically, Beauvoir is saying that Bianca is emotionally immature and boorish. I mean, but she's like hating a young person for being young. So I mean, that's, I feel like that's her problem. My sweet little one, goodbye till tomorrow. On Sunday, you'll get the sequel of the Bianca story. I'm just gonna say her first name. I think you find me a bit mean to her, which is possible. I'll see tomorrow evening whether I should be nice, but she does get on my nerves. I love you so much, little dear little being. So they often consulted with each other, Sartre and Beauvoir did, about their, you know, if they've been too mean, if they've, you know, been appropriate, etc. And it just, I don't know, it seems, it seems very manipulative the way they tried to organize everything. Okay, so this one is a, a bit later. <clears throat> this one is, is this one I wanted to read? Yes, it's pretty short. The 30th of April, 1947. And she's in New York at this time. My love, my sweet little one, how happy I've been feeling since Monday. There was a long letter from you all tender and with a growth, glow of warmth, I felt how I'd soon be back with you. There's a place in your heart waiting for me in Paris and that makes me, makes leaving easy, even delightful. So it's true, my love, in 10 days you'll be there. I'll touch you, I'll speak, I'll speak to you. I'm in raptures. I don't know why I can't read that. You see, more than the liberation, more than my journey to New York, it's you every time who are the most astonishing experience in my life, and the strongest and deepest and truest. My love, I'm so happy to feel you close at hand that it radiates across New York. 
This imminent departure doesn't destroy New York, quite the contrary. Never has New York seemed so marvelous to me, and the fact of leaving, it is a sufficient occupation, giving full meaning to every walk and every look. Add that the spring is warm and tender, and that to cap it all, I'm really raking in the dollars and am beginning to buy some lovely things. They always talked about money or spoke about money problems in their early relationship, and I think that's because they kept giving money to these like young lovers. And also in Loge de Raison, Matthew is always talking about being poor. And his brother Jacques says it's because you're reckless with money and you don't know how to, I guess, save and spend it. <clears throat> the new circumstance is that since Monday, instead of the tormented nights I always used to have, I've been sleeping like an angel with that sense of justification that your presence gives me. When did I write last? From Philadelphia, I think. I gave my lecture there on Thursday evening, then caught a train at about 11. I fell asleep at once and by eight in the morning was in Boston. The same charming spinster lady who'd taken me round a week earlier was waiting for me with a car, and she took me for a big trip northwards to Cape Ann, Marblehead, Rockport, and lots of New England villages. She was as joyful as a child, and I too was very happy. Then I went back to the hotel to work on an article called An Existentialist Looks at America for the New York Times. It's terribly hard on them, but so what? I think the country has grown worse over the past year, and the atmosphere is becoming unbreathable. If I stayed, I'd become a communist. The students from Harvard and Yale speak of war with Russia in resigned positive tones that send a chill down your spine. I saw them on Saturday. First, I finished off the article in the morning, then lunch at the Alliance Francaise, Francaise with the old ladies you know and that imbecile Benoui, the dreadful Marine, I don't know these words, and Chambon, the Boston consul who by some miracle is a decent man, utterly disappointed as a Catholic by American Catholicism. Lecture. I spoke about you, which I enjoyed. Cocktail party with some students. Dinner at Gervich's, I like him. It's a sociologist, or he is a sociologist. He was in seventh heaven at being able to give vent to a hatred of seven years standing and told me shattering stories about American anti-Semitism. At 10, a group of students came to collect me and we went out drinking in the evil haunts of Boston, as my mother would say, till three in the morning. That's when I got the creeps. There's a real red scare and people no longer dare to be liberal because they get labeled as communists. We have to get business jobs, they explained to me, the students. And if we're suspected of being reds, that's bad for us. What can we do? Posed in this way, the question obviously has no solution. The most depressing part of it is that they were well-intentioned kids. The next day in the morning, I caught the plane, which bounced me dreadfully all the way to New York. What a joy to see New York again. I'm also savoring my solitude since it was really agreeable having S, I think Sorokin. But what freedom to find myself alone after these past two months of almost constant presence. I'm going to spend another 10 good days, first between now and Sunday, and finishing off my articles. After that, it will be glorious freedom. And then you, my love. Cable to the Brevoir to let me know where you, or Brevoir, I don't know. 
that's French or not, um, to let me know where you'll be meeting me. I advise the Louisiana. I guess it's like still in America. Um, fix up a good return for me. I love you so much. Oh, yourself, my love, your happy beaver. So I think this really shows how she, how social she was. And she just loved being around people. She loved making money and shopping. And sometimes she would tell Sartre, you know, about how lovely she looked. She got a new turban. She did her hair. Um, you know, I don't think either Sartre or Beauvoir were like big on hygiene. Um, and part of that could have been, part of that was like, the, the war times that they lived through but part of that I think was and part of that was like their financial situation regardless but I think it was like part of them maybe Sartre more than Beauvoir had that problem like I guess Bianca mentioned like how Sartre would often like wear shirts with like stains on them and Beauvoir would only wash her hair once a month although maybe that was just also normal of the times. I think she mentioned that it was just so cold and they did not have heat. So maybe, and that's why she wore turbans a lot of times. But I don't know, so maybe like in general, maybe I shouldn't like point that out with Beauvoir. Sartre I think deserves it, but maybe not with Beauvoir. I don't know, because I don't know as much as I would need to know, I guess, to make that statement. But it was, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was just gonna say, but that was one of the interesting things as well about reading the correspondence is that you get a bit of an insight on uh, how life was, you know, in a t particular location, a particular historical time, especially during the war. Um, and people's, you know, ideas, like Beauvoir's ideas about anti-semitism or racism or communism in america in the 40s or 50s where she it was like the late late 40s at least that she was there in america and um i don't know it's just uh it was just a great read and a lot of times correspondence goes out of print but this one in particular and you know gives you some good reading material for a while i think this is only like 15 dollars $14.95. Quiet Moments in War and then another book of Sartre's, which I'm going to have two copies of. I guess I can return one. That's out of those are out of print. And then I think that's it. I think Beauvoir's Diary of a Philosophy Student, they were in print. Like Hannah Arendt and Martin Heidegger, their letters, which is mostly Heidegger, because he didn't keep her letters, like the wonderful dude that he is. Um, that was out of print. The Bianca, A Disgraceful Affair was out of print. So you have to find these books, you know, and you can get like used copies of them, I guess. But sometimes they come to you and I don't know why, but they smell like smoke. <laughs> so really I just have one book. But I looked up like how to get smoke out of a used book and apparently it's, uh, it's not an unusual phenomenon. 
Um, so I don't know, it's just like the book itself like is beautiful and new and so it's so sad. Like it looks new or it looks unread, I guess I should say. But somehow, wherever they put these books or whoever owned it, maybe cigarette smoke like gets absorbed in like paper, <laughs> I don't know. But it's like, as you're leafing through the page, it's just, it's a, a whiff. I can't, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I just, uh, I can't stand it. I was like, can I mix? And paper is so difficult, right? Like, because sometimes you could put essential oils on something or like spray something with a linen spray, but you can't really do anything liquid too. Someone said, um, get some lava stones, except when I read the reviews, one of, one of the reviewers said she used the lava stones and they worked, but after like nine months of keeping them in a bin outside and changing like a litter box, changing the lava stones. So I don't want to do that. I found another copy. I just got some packages today, so maybe maybe it arrived. And sometimes you have to buy the used books that are out of print, like from, depending on if you are in the States, like me, you have to buy them from the UK, because they're all in the UK, I don't know why. That is the case either, but then, so then it takes you like a month to get it back. So I don't know. So I think I'm gonna send the smoky book back. Some people might not mind it. I mean. If, you're a smoker, then maybe you like the smell of cigarette smoke. I just don't. So anyway, so that's the thing. But maybe uh, in the next video, I'll do Quiet Moments in a War because Sartre is such a character as well. All right, see you all next time. Recording stopped.